0: Today is the third message in a series of four On the topic of let's talk and it should come as no surprise That there are numerous passages of scriptures that speak to the issue of communicating with and relating to God Uh, No doubt many of you have your own Favorite passages on the subject of prayer this morning um I'm going to do something they tell speakers not to do, and instead of having a narrow focus, I'm going to have a bit of a shotgun focus and kind of throw out a variety of things in the hopes that some of what I say will stick for each and every one of you, but something different may stick for each of you as well. I'm going to quickly throw out a few of the many verses that stood out to me for various reasons as they spoke to the topic of prayer, and then I'm going to pause a bit longer on one passage in particular so let's just jump right in with some of the passages that speak to prayer in matthew chapter 18 jesus says uh, again truly i tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it will be done for them by my father in heaven verse 20 goes on it says for we're two or three gather in my name There am I with them. And what I simply want to say about that passage is many of us, as we pursue a walk with Christ... We often have a tendency, and this is not to bash us because I'm looking around. I'm pretty sure we're all human, and we have certain human tendencies. Um, if you're not human, please don't tell me because that'll make my head explode. Um, but, but we tend to focus, and when we think about this passage, we tend to focus upon the part there that says anything they ask for, it will be done for them. Because we are inherently, God will help us with this, but we are inherently selfish. And so we have a capacity, when we think about communicating with God on a personal level, and there is a tendency uh, to view him like a giant vending machine, whereby we put our prayers in and it rattles a bit and drops out the things that we desire, unless we happen to push the wrong buttons and then we get something we didn't ask for. Uh, we, we have a great capacity to focus upon that aspect of prayer. But to me, as I look at Matthew eighteen, nineteen, and 20, what I would have us focus our attention on today, or as you move forward, is the part that's repeated twice in that passage. For you notice again, it says that if two of you on earth agree about anything, and then he concludes by saying, we're two or three together in my name, there I am, or I am there with them. I would say let's not focus on the we get what we want passage or portion of that passage, but rather let's see that passage as an exhortation or encouragement regarding the importance of corporate prayer partnerships. There is something powerful when two people or more come together and seek the face of God. And come to a sense of an agreement on something. So again, I don't look at it as a vending machine, but look at it as a reminder. Hey, it's important for me to perhaps even step out of my comfort level and pray with others. Sometimes intentionally and strategically. I will tell you, I don't understand how it works, and some of this goes against what I said last week as far as trying to figure out how it works. Diana and I both pray for our children, and we pray for our grandchildren. But I think we will both concede that when we make time to pray for them together, it seems like there's more happening than us Praying separately. I, again, I can't, I don't, I don't understand it. And maybe it's just we expect more, so we see more. I don't know. But I think it matters. And so just think about Matthew 18, 19, and 20 as that reminder. It's important to pray with others intentionally, strategically, sometimes in an ongoing partnership, sometimes in a spontaneous gathering. All right, so now to the opposite end of the spectrum. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says just the opposite. Our emphasize is just the opposite. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I threw that in there. We looked at that in the first week of the series of messages, but I brought it back up again because, uh, again, I love the fact that it says, He made specific, intentional effort to make the time available to pray. And not to be crude or overly simplistic, but if it was good enough for Jesus, maybe it's good enough for me. The other way of looking at it, as I emphasized in that first week, if the Son of God found it important to make time to get up early, And go off by himself and pray. Who am I to think that maybe I don't need that? And I get where some of you, some of you were already there as soon as I put the verse up there. I'm not a morning person. I get that. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it said Jesus was a morning person. You know what? He may have stayed up late every night. I don't know. Now, I i I don't think it matters If I pray early in the morning or I stay up late at night, but I can tell you when my focus is a little clear And it's probably not late at night Maybe none of you did this back when I was in school We had we had moved from having a slate to having books All right Some kids now don't even know what a book is all right got an ipad but There was a routine that came with studying I I would start In a designated place in our home for a season that was usually you know the kitchen or the dining room table And then I would progress to my room And then I would progress to my bed And then I would progress to holding the book here And then I would progress to the book hitting me in the face All right That can happen with prayer so there, there's something to be said. But but what I want to emphasize is there is a time and a place and an importance on corporate prayer partnerships. But there is equally an important time for an intentional, just me and God, having it out and putting it out there and laying myself out before him. So, together, by ourselves, Another essential passage and and actually this is obviously mark chapter excuse me matthew chapter 20 verse 32 But it says virtually the same thing in mark chapter 10 verse 36 and again in verse 51 It says the same thing in luke chapter 18 verse 41 and many of you who've been around a while know I'm a simple guy But if something's repeated Even this guy thinks huh, maybe I ought to pay attention All right At least four times in the particular translation I was looking at, Jesus said to somebody, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Friends, can I just say, he wants to hear our specific concerns, requests, desires. He wants, wants to hear from us. Not, oh, God bless the whole world and all the little children. Yeah, okay. But, but what's on your heart, Steve? What drives you? What brings you to your knees? What prompted you to get up early this morning? What prompted you to get together with a few of your fellow believers and come before me? Imagine, when it says, what do you want me to do for you? Imagine if every time you created an opportunity for prayer, individually or corporately, and you started out by saying something like, Dear God, there was an audible voice from heaven that said, Yeah, what do you want? I mean, he wouldn't—that that sounded rude. He would say, Yes, my dear child, what would you like? All right. But imagine if every time you called his name, he answered and said, Yes, what do you want me to do for you? Really? But can we just step back for a second and say, if God is who we say he is, and if he is capable of what we say he's capable of, and if he is all-present at all times, isn't it reasonable to think that every time we call upon his name, he's paying attention? Now, we may not hear an audible voice from heaven saying, yes, Steve, what would you like me to do for you today? But if I call him, I need to understand I've got his attention. And what he wants, he doesn't want to hear my shopping list for the day. The stuff I want him to do, he wants to hear my heart. What is it that really concerns you today, Steve? Now, that may be some of the stuff on my on my shopping list, but he wants me to peel back the layers and say, Here, here's what I really want. Here's what my heart longs for. So, a few more essential passages. Here's another one. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. The first part, verse 2, it's just clear, simple instruction. Be devoted to prayer. In other words, think about what you're devoted to. You adapt yourself to accommodate the things to which you are devoted. You rearrange your schedule, you shift your priorities, whether that be financial, whether that be time, whether that be whatever. You change your life to accommodate what you're devoted to. Be watchful. Be attentive. Be focused. When I I think about being watchful, it, it speaks of a degree of focus. And then be thankful. Be devoted in prayer. Be watchful in prayer. Be thankful in prayer. And then the latter two verses... Verse 3 and verse 4 there. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Now, again, just unpack that for just a minute, all right? Paul's saying, folks, y'all pray for us. We're locked up, literally in chains, because we're devoting ourselves to the advancement of, Of God's message to people who desperately need it. Pray for us. And it's interesting He doesn't even say pray that we get set free Do do you get that? He says pray that we're effective that God opens a door for the message not opens the door and sets me free But pray that God will open the door for the message So that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be devoted, be watchful, be thankful, and pray for his mission on earth and those working to accomplish it, including yourself. I wonder how often... Do we pray for the literal effectiveness of those who serve God by presenting the gospel at home and abroad? For their message to bear fruit, for their lives to bear fruit, for open doors for their message to be heard. How often do we pray for ourselves to be the one by whom it comes? You know, it, it, hey, that was a rabbit trail. I'm not even going to go down it. But just think about the call we have to pray for his mission, and to pray for ourselves as part of that mission. The next two verses, I'm just going to reference. I'm not even going to turn there. Philippians chapter four, verse six, and First Thessalonians chapter five, verse seventeen. Philippians four six says, "Pray in every situation." every situation I I remember years ago Diana had a a piano teacher and she was an elderly woman who was a very faithful woman within the parameters of the faith group of which she was a part and it was a very fairly how do I say this Uh, rigid environment and kind of a high church. There's a tendency to view God as somebody way out there, not somebody up close and real and personal. Now, that's not bashing her or bashing her faith or that faith group, but that, that was just the, the the way they tended to view God. And, and at one point, uh, her elderly piano teacher had misplaced something. And Diana said, well, how about if we pray that you find it? And she was actually almost offended that Diana would think about bothering God with something that insignificant. And Diana said, well, if it matters to you, it matters to Him. In every situation, we're invited to pray. And then, first Thessalonians, what's that? She did find it, she did pray, she did, I think she let Diana pray, and she did find it, and she praised God because she found it. Now, I'd like to tell you that changed her whole worldview, I doubt that it did. But it did give her a glimpse. First Thessalonians five seventeen. You want to memorize a verse on prayer? First Thessalonians five seventeen, repeat after me. Pray continually. Alright, there you go. You memorize your scripture verse for the day. You can ignore the update you get on your on your phone for your verse of the day. I just gave you a different one. Pray continually. Now, friends, again that's not about walking around all the time with our eyes closed praying some kind of formal prayer but if prayer is about relationship then it is very natural for us to be in a continual state of engagement in interaction with the one to whom we pray now i am blessed with someone who uh t- to live with someone who takes that literally and sh- there's always a conversation going on in our house. And sometimes I have to say, are you talking to me or are you just talking or are you talking to God? Cause it's not always clear to me. But I appreciate the freedom and as someone who is content, I, you know, this is a guy thing and I have to keep my word count down. All right. Cause I got to fit within the, the male parameters. I'm content to walk in the door. And not say another word till I leave the next day and have to engage people out there somewhere. It's good to be reminded. Now that's not to say I don't think and I don't communicate with God in my thoughts. But I just love that reminder that if it is about relationship, then pray continually is a reasonable expectation. It's about an ongoing communication in the context of a real, personal, life-changing love relationship with an ever-present, all-powerful God. And then there's this one. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, there's a subtle, and I don't want to make more of this than is warranted, because I didn't do a huge word study. But as I read this particular translation, to me it's significant that it doesn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. It says, Lord, teach us to pray. It's not about mechanics. It's about motivation. It's not about a style. It's about a lifestyle. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us that we ought to pray. Teach us to be continually in prayer. Teach us that prayer is important to you. Keep in mind... Now, now think about it. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And for those of you who have not studied the Bible a lot like I have... Luke starts out with chapter 1, all right? You guys are sleeping. You just didn't get that, all right? I was picking on you, all right? So we have 10 chapters of the story that's taken place by the time we get to chapter 11, verse 1. Up to this point in their relationship with, with Jesus, the disciples have walked with him side by side as he healed the sick, as he raised the dead, as he calmed a storm with just the spoken word, as he taught and fed the multitudes, thousands and thousands, as he cast out demons, he had even given them the authority to go out under his direction and perform ministry based on his authority. And I wonder, do you find it at all interesting that when they saw him perform his first healing, we don't have any record that they said, hey, Jesus, teach us to do that. When they saw him cast out the first demon, we don't have a record that they said, hey, Jesus, show us to do that. You know, let us do that. When they saw him raise the dead, they didn't say, whoa, how how can I do that? When they saw him feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a couple of fish, they didn't say, yeah, we'd like to be in on that action. When he calmed the storm, they didn't say, wow, teach me to do that. Of all the requests they make, after seeing all of that amazing stuff go on, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. As you, just let that soak in for just a, just a tad. But remember who's saying this, Lord, teach us to pray. These men were Jews. That means they have been raised from infancy in an environment where regular prayer was a part of the very fabric of their culture and their homes. They had grown up in praying environments. And it makes me say, what did they see? What did they observe or what did they experience in their exposure to Christ's practice of prayer that compelled them to say, Lord, teach us to pray? It's not like they'd never heard of it before. It's not like they'd never done it. It's not like they'd never been exposed to it. But something made them say, of all they'd experience, I want some of that. Lord, teach us to pray. Among other things, and this is just my, my speculation, but I suspect that as they interacted with Jesus, they were experiencing firsthand The difference between a prayer life grounded in religion and one that is rooted in relationship. They understood that when Jesus talked to God, it was different than the prayers they had seen in the synagogue. It was a father and son dialogue interaction it wasn't what we've always done for the balance of my time I'm going to settle in a bit on the response that Jesus gave to the request to teach his disciples to pray I'm going to switch to Matthew's rendition of the story it's often called the Lord's Prayer it's often called the Apostles Prayer It's also called the our father depending upon which branch of the spiritual tree or religion tree uh, You have cut your teeth (sighs) Some of you have been around a while know that there have been times where Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 15 have been an entire series of messages I'm going to bless you today and do an entire series in one message If you didn't pack a lunch uh The youth have pizza coming, so we'll just... Seriously, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna quickly go through Matthew 6, 5 through 15, and I'm gonna make a few general comments as we go along. My, my prayer is that as we look at these things, somewhere in this process, if it hasn't happened already, there'll just be something that you think, you know what? There's some application that I can make here that will contribute to the development of my personal prayer times. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. We looked at this maybe last week. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Prayer involves practicing right motives and right attitudes not right words all right i can read a very powerful prayer but if it's not the right attitude and the right motives it's not cutting it and note there very simply and this is just simple duh notice that it says and when you pray do you catch that It doesn't say, and if you pray, (laughs) there is an assumption that we will pray. It's that simple, folks. And when you pray. Verse 6, again, but when you pray, not but if you pray. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Prayer is grounded in faith. Believing that God hears and God responds. Believing that, notice who he says you're praying to, you're praying to your Heavenly Father. Not this random God out there somewhere. This is your Father. When you pray, not if you pray. Believing that God hears, believing that God responds. Now please understand, believing does not necessarily mean understanding everything. Because as I've said repeatedly, probably every week in this series, there's a lot about prayer I just don't understand. But I've come to embrace it. I don't need to understand it. It doesn't say, but when you understand everything about prayer, then let's have a conversation. just when you pray. Verses 7 and (laughs) 8. Do you get it here? And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Friends, can I just say, it is important to understand the difference between a sincere, persistent request and senseless repetition. When I look at that babbling like the heathens, that's just going on and on and on. Please don't mistake me for for saying that if there's something that is really, really important to you, you shouldn't keep praying about it because he wants to hear our heart. But when we repeat stuff, now maybe maybe you're different. When we repeat stuff, sometimes it can lose its meaning and significance. So he's saying, "Be careful here. By all means, pour your heart out, but don't just keep repeating for the sake of repeating." I've told you before uh, that I grew up going to church and in the particular church that that I went to there was a song that we sang every time the offering was received some of you've been there done that and and it was interesting as a child even I picked up on i mean it was like nobody said it was like magic to me as a child just all of a sudden the piano player or the organist would hit the first note everybody would just automatically jump up and start singing this song No hymnals, words on the wall were just a distant uh, fantasy, but uh, just, it was like magic, boom, up, and everybody would start singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, all right? It was not until I was an adult seriously seeking after God that I went back and I looked at the words, and there's powerful stuff there. That is good stuff. But for me, I'm not judging anybody else I went to church with as a child, but for me, that was just mindless repetition. It may have been incredibly meaningful for some of the saints next to me, but for me, it was just babbling. I knew the words, I sang them. I didn't understand all the words, but I I read them, I sang them. Didn't read them, I sang them. So so again, I, I'm not saying when I when I use passage uh, Matthew six seven and eight. Uh, Matthew, yeah, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. I'm not saying don't repeat yourself. I'm not saying don't pray about stuff that matters and, and, and cuts to the core of your being. But just understand, there's a difference between sincere, persistent requests and meaningless repetition. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like many of you, I grew up memorizing this prayer. But can I just say, step back for a minute, like maybe you've never heard it, and just soak this in for a second. The very Son of God, Says and is recorded in his scripture for all of time. This then is how you should pray. Now think about it. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know what you do for recreation. But imagine if an expert in the field that is important to you said, this is how you should do something do you think you'd actually sit up and pay attention and say, he knows what he's talking about, I better listen. If the very Son of God says this then is how you should pray, wow, newsflash, take notes. This then is how you should pray. Prayer is an opportunity to address the Father in the name of Jesus. Jesus taught here very simply that prayer always starts with God and not with us. Through Jesus, as recorded in Hebrews, our high priest, we have the privilege of approaching the God of all creation and calling him Father. I think that in teaching us to pray, Jesus never wants us to lose sight of what a blessing it is to be adopted into God's family and to be able to call him father. Some of you were blessed in this life with great fathers. And when you hear that, it conjures up all kinds of warm fuzzies. Some of you, not so much. Some of you, the mere mention of the word makes you tense up. And I'm deeply sorry for that. But what Jesus is pointing out to us, whether we had a great father, whether we had a despicable father, we all now have a father who desperately wants the very best for us to the point that he sent his own son to pay the penalty for our sin. Our father. Verse 9 also speaks that Prayer and praise are inextricably interconnected. Hallowed is holy. It's not just his name. It is the very core of his being. Some of you, again, that have been around for a long time have heard me say when I read Isaiah chapter 6, where it talks about, about the angels in the throne room of God crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There are countless positive attributes that are used to describe God. Holy is the only one in Scripture where it is repeated threefold. Holy. Holy, holy. And we are invited, we are taught that we can call the holy, holy, holy God of all creation, our Father in heaven. We start by the relationship. We start with our praise. Friends, I I get it. I know what it is when life is painful. Without exception, no matter what our situation or what our circumstances, no matter what we're praying about, God is always worthy of our praise. Life may stink, and that may be putting it mildly, but God is still holy, and he still loves you as only a heavenly father can love you. And because of that, he is worthy of our praise. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should strive to pray the answer, not the problem. And the answer is always for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, regardless of your political persuasion. Regardless of your world view, I think we can all agree that in some way, shapes, and forms, our world's a mess. Every week, there's something on the news that just says, messed up. This week, it was that horrific tragedy in New Zealand. Friends, the fix is not who we vote into political office. The fix is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, pray about your concerns, but pray the answer, not the problem. Verses 11, 12, and 13. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are invited or encouraged to trust God with all of our needs. What we sometimes lose sight of as we think about the start of that, give us this day our daily bread. Again, Jesus is talking to Jews who have from their infancy been taught about the journey of their people in the wilderness when they were starving and desperately crying out to God for food. And he sent this crazy bread from heaven that was called manna. You remember the story? Some of you may not have heard it, but but I won't tell the whole story. But God would send this bread down from heaven and he said... It's going to come every day. Trust me. So don't try to gather enough for tomorrow except on the before the Sabbath because then you're going to need to gather for two days because you can't go out and pick it up on the Sabbath. Bread from heaven every day. Give us this day our daily bread. And again, what happened? They're people, all right? People happen. Well, what if it doesn't come tomorrow? I better collect enough for tomorrow. You know and I know Some folks did it you know whether you're one of those people or not. I would have been all right. I'll be honest And sure enough what happened they got up the next day They ate their fill that day. They got up the next day and say oh glad we got extra and it was nasty rotten had worms in it Except for one day a week It didn't get worms in it because they were being obedient Give us this day our daily bread That's there to reinforce the fact, whether I admit it or not, every day I am dependent upon God. Every day I'm dependent upon God. Again, many of us, we go to bed, the last thing we do before we go to bed is we do our to-do list for tomorrow. And we roll out of the sack, our feet hit the ground, and we're off and running i got to tell you, your to-do list doesn't mean a whole lot to God. You're dependent upon him for the fact that you can even get out of bed. From daily bread, he went on to daily temptations and then to forgiveness and eternal life. Friends, there is nothing too big and there's nothing too small to pray about. Folks, If you're living, you're breathing, you're going to be tempted. It's that simple. He wants you to have victory. If you're living, you're breathing, you're going to need to be prepared to forgive folks. Because, again, we're people. And he understands. Well, we'll go to the next one. Well... I got too far. Oh, I skipped verse 14. How cool is that? He tells us that we need to forgive. And he says, if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Friends, understand, ultimately, regardless of how you pray, regardless of whether you pray early in the morning late at night all day long continuously in every circumstance every situation by yourself or with a group ultimately prayer is grounded in a real personal life-changing love relationship with god which in turn is grounded in his willingness to forgive us and his expectation that we forgive others I wonder how many times that's a roadblock to our prayers. Whether you've been living in an intimate relationship that is real, personal, life-changing with Christ for many years, whether you're just investigating what it might look like to be in a relationship with him, or whether you're somewhere in between, Whether you consider prayer to be one of your greatest spiritual strengths, or whether you're still intimidated or confused or guilt ridden by the topic. Oh, there's 14. That was special. (laughs) All right. I'd like to blame Marshall, but it was my fault. So, all right. I wonder. Will you say, Lord, teach me to pray? Pray with me. Quiet yourselves for just a brief moment. All I'd ask in closing, if you want to take a step forward, in your communication patterns with God. If you want to remove some of the barriers and and cut through some of the guilt and the confusion and the comparison and the the self-consciousness, I just invite you this morning, just in your heart and in your mind, to say, Lord, teach me to pray. Thank you, Father. That you responded to the disciples when they when they asked that, and thank you that you will respond to us when we say, Lord, teach me to pray. It is in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. Diana and Greg.